Right, we're starting Ezekiel chapter 40 on page 872, uh, verses 1 to 4. In the 25th year of our exile, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th of the month, in the 14th year after the fall of the city, on that very day the hand of the Lord was on me, and he took me there. In visions of God, he took me to the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain, on whose south side were some buildings that looked like a city. He took me there, and I saw a man whose appearance was like bronze. He was standing in the gateway with a linen cord and a measuring rod in his hand. The man said to me, Son of man, look carefully and listen closely, and pay attention to everything I am going to show you, for that is why you have been brought here. Tell the people of Israel everything you see. We're now going to page 876, chapter 43, verses 1 to 7. Then the man brought me to the gate facing east, and I saw the glory of the God of Israel coming from the east. His voice was like the roar of rushing waters, and the land was radiant with his glory. The vision I saw was like the vision I had seen when he came to destroy the city, and like the visions I had seen by the river Kebar, and I fell face down. The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. While the man was standing beside me, I heard someone speaking to me from inside the temple. He said, Son of man, this is the place of my throne, and the place for the soles of my feet. This is where I will live among the Israelites forever. The people of Israel will never again defile my holy name, neither they nor their kings, by their prostitution and funeral offerings for their kings at their death. And the last reading is at the very end of Ezekiel, page 883, chapter 48, verses 30 to 35. These will be the exits of the city. Beginning on the north side, which is 4,500 cubits long, in the gates of the city will be named, the gates, the gates of the city will be named after the tribes of Israel. The three gates on the north side will be the gate of Reuben, the gate of Judah, and the gate of Levi. On the east side, which is 4,500 cubits long, will be three gates, the gate of Joseph, the gate of Benjamin, and the gate of Dan. On the south side, which measures 4,500 cubits, will be three gates, the gate of Simeon, the gate of Issachar, and the gate of Zebulun. On the west side, which is 4,500 cubits long, will be three gates, the gate of Gad, the gate of Asher, and the gate of Naphtali. The distance all round will be 18,000 cubits, and the name of the city from that time on will be, The Lord is there. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Why, why, why are we in Ezekiel? Why, why have we just heard about different gates and different measurements? Uh, well, it's because the final eight chapters of Ezekiel is an incredible vision that God gives to his prophets uh, for the future for God's people, uh, and something 
in that vision is incredibly precious for them to hear. I mean, we heard it in that, that first chunk uh, that Sue read. Son of man, look carefully, listen closely, pay attention to everything I'm going to show you. But that is why you've been brought here. Tell the people of Israel everything you see. And before Ezekiel, he sees uh, a city restored and all its dimensions. He sees the temple restored and all its dimensions and all these gates. Uh, but the final thing that he sees, if you like, is it's almost like a sign. A bit like whichever direction you come into Thurnby in, you have one of those green Thurnby and Bushby signs. Uh, but the sign uh, at the end of Ezekiel uh, announces somewhere uh, far more special. It's, it's a very, the la- last four words of Ezekiel. The Lord is there. The Lord is there. And as I said, this is the last run of reflections on the names of God we find, or some of the names of God we find in the Bible. And those of you who are sharp-eyed and sharp minds on a, on a dark Sunday evening, uh, particularly well done if you're sharp-minded and sharp-eyed after a big church lunch, um, will spot that this name that we're looking at is first a name for a place, a city. The name of a future city. And yet, this future city's existence is completely and utterly tied up with the presence and power of God, that its name reflects a reality of God. The Lord is there. We have a God who is there. That's a name of God that is given, I think, particularly uh, for the people of God who feel weak and weary and are weeping. Now that's not to say all followers of Jesus have to be a sort of mushy mess all the time. Um, There is joy. There is courage. There is sacrifice in the life of following Jesus. But if you have done anything through life following Jesus in this world, you will know your weakness. You will feel weary and there will be plenty of things that you weep about. So this evening, uh, those last four words of Ezekiel 48 are, are a word to the weary. The Lord is there. It's, it's such a precious truth. Um, recently, or sort of since September, I've, I've done something with my children. And I don't know whether it's been helpful for my children, but it's been incredibly helpful for me. Um, just, get, just get your hands, as if you're going to high-five somebody. Um, you've got five fingers And it's just a very simple truth. God often says to his people, for I am with you. That's what makes you strong. Very simple, isn't it? For I am with you. That's what makes you strong. It's a great truth. The Lord is there. How often in the pages of the Bible, again and again and again, when God's people are at their weakest, when God's people are weary, when God's people are weeping, does God say, I am with you? I am with you. We have a God who is there. Uh, And so this evening, I just want to offer some reflections on these sort of last, uh, some of the themes of these last uh, chapters of Ezekiel. Um, But I hope to let the Bible do a fair amount of the talking. So we'll we'll turn to a few other pages in the Bible. And if there's any other people who are willing to to read out loud, I can bring a microphone and and then you don't have to listen to me all the time, which is probably a great joy. Um, But these words from Ezekiel, Well, they were to weak, weary, weeping people. If you know anything of Ezekiel's story, 
he was one of the first of God's people to be taken out of the land when the Babylonians came. The sort of first wave of the exiles uh, being taken away from the land, from their home, away from the place, uh, the promised land that God had given them, away from the place of God's presence, from the temple in Jerusalem. And perhaps you, you know the story of when that temple had first been built by Solomon uh, and what a what rejoicing happened and how God's glory filled the space so that people couldn't even go in there. That felt reality of God's goodness, God's greatness filling the place and just that sense of, yes, this was the place God's people, God had guided his people to. This was the place God had said he'd chosen for his name. This is the place God was now evicting his people from. Because of their continued rebellion and sin. This was his judgment. And as Ezekiel experienced something of this himself, it began to shape his message. And his message was, even when you're as far away from God, or as far away as it's possible to feel from God, the Lord is there. He's as far away from home as it's possible to be. He's as far away from God's presence, or so it would seem, as he could be. And yet the first thing happens to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 1 is he has a vision of God. Not in the temple, but on the, on the bank of a canal in Babylon, the Kibar River. God's glory might have been uh, what filled the temple. But Solomon had also prayed, but will God really dwell on earth with humans? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. There was an understanding that God's particular focal point was the temple. But a human-built building cannot contain God. So Ezekiel is reminded, even when he's with God's people, as far away from God as it's possible to be, the Lord is there. And later on in chapter 10 of Ezekiel, he's given another vision. It's probably about one of the worst things Ezekiel could have seen. God's glory that had come so spectacularly to fill the temple, departing. It goes, heads east, the Mount of Olives. God's fullest judgment on his people is for his presence to depart. Maybe that's what shapes some of Jesus' words when he talks about uh, people experiencing, um, you know, being, being thrown outside, experiencing the darkness, being away from God's presence. It's the worst thing we could imagine. And then a few years later, it turns out that Ezekiel's vision was a reality because more, people, more of God's people arrived in Babylon with the news that the temple was now just a pile of stones. God's people were at the lowest point as it's possible to be. Which is where some of those words that we heard tonight kick in. The Lord is there. Ezekiel 43, we hear, don't we, of God's glory returning. It says, Ezekiel 43, verse 4, The glory of the Lord entered the temple through the gate facing east. Then the Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. How exciting this must have been for Ezekiel. And I just, I love the words in um, verse 7. Son of man, 
This is the place of my throne. And you kind of go, yeah, God's glory. That's the place of his throne. And then it says, the place for the soles of my feet. The God who is almighty and glorious. His soles of his feet rooted in this place. God's people are given through Ezekiel this incredible vision. And over the years, the exile comes to an end. They return home. They start to rebuild. They rebuild the city. They, they rebuild the temple. It's the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah. And in Ezra 3, we, we find, if you like, that the seniors amongst God's people weeping. They're weeping. Because they see this rebuilt temple and it doesn't come close to what was there before. It doesn't come close to what Ezekiel had seen. And there's certainly no mention of God's glory returning. And yet we read something in Haggai chapter 2. When was the last time you were in Haggai? Turn to Haggai chapter 2. Should have written some um, page numbers down. Prize whoever gets there first. Uh, glory. Um, it's 948 verses 2 and 3. I wonder if there's, is there anybody who's willing to read Haggai chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 for us? Brian's going to read it when he's found it. 948. Let's check out the right verses. Yeah. Chapter 2 verses 3 and 4. Let me give you a microphone then everyone. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to, to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest. Be strong, all ye people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you declares the Lord Almighty. So those who saw, who knew what the temple used to be like, who knew Ezekiel's vision and that, that what they'd rebuilt was nothing, nothing near it. They're weeping. And yet God's message, well, yeah, it's not as good. But did he spot it? For I am with you. The Lord is there. The Lord is there. Then the Lord goes on and promises uh, that one day again his, he would fill the temple with his glory. And, and the days turn into weeks and the weeks turn into the months and the months turn into years and decades and, and centuries. Where's God's glory entering the temple? We're never explicitly told that God's glory returns uh, to that building. But you know, one day, God's glory did return. God's glory was carried in in the arms of some first-time parents. It's in Luke chapter 2. Let's turn there, shall we? Luke chapter 2. And we're going for verses uh, 22 to 32. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. 
as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in, keep in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. Thank you, Claire and Les. In Jesus, we have God's glory revealed. And God's glory doesn't come in the spectacular way in, as when Solomon was dedicating the temple. God's glory is carried in as a brand new baby. In Jesus, God chooses to dwell with us. We'll be thinking about it in the coming weeks, won't we? Emmanuel, God with us. The temple is not the place we need to go to find God's presence. Uh, it once was the focal point for the worshipping life of God's people, but no more. For us to know God's presence, we, we go to Jesus. We go to the, the temple that his, his body that was, that was destroyed and three days later was raised to life. And by faith in Jesus, we're joined to him. Our bodies become a temple. That's Paul's language in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, isn't it? Your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Lord is there. A few moments when we meet for bread and wine, for communion, the, the liturgy, the, the prayer begins, isn't it? The Lord is here. We can say that with confidence this evening, can't we? The Lord is here because the Lord is there. And so what, what does it mean for us? Let's just kind of land this a little bit for us. Most simply, it means if you belong to Jesus, you're never alone. Never alone. Just think of the situations where you feel like you're most on your own. Maybe if you've navigated grief, the death of a loved one. Maybe it's just those times where you find yourself on your own. Maybe an evening in the house when it's dark and everybody's out. You're just very aware of being alone. And maybe it's those times where you wake up in the middle of the night. Everyone else is asleep, but you're not. Maybe you feel incredibly alone, even, even though you're, you're up to date with everybody's news as you sort of scroll through um, social media feeds. Maybe you've had the experience of, of somebody walking out on you. Maybe those moments of absolute grief where it feels like your sin has just been laid bare. Or maybe even times where you're surrounded by people but you feel incredibly alone. I don't know, as you go into an operating theatre. 
where you turn up to somewhere for the very first time. The Lord is there. Never alone. Uh, what's, I mean, I don't actually know the answer to this question. Where's, where's the most remote place in the world? I don't know. I feel like Robin Cleffrey has probably been there <laughs> on holiday. Tasmania. I was thinking Antarctica. I mean, you could, you could go to the most remote place in the whole world. You are there on your own. Maybe with some penguins. The penguins in Antarctica. Have I got that horrendously wrong? But as a Christian, you're never truly alone. The Lord is there. And if we're being properly Trinitarian about this, you really aren't on your own. You have the Holy Spirit there with you. The Holy Spirit of God who pours into your heart God's love to make Christ, the one who died for you, present in you. So we might know that we are children of our Heavenly Father, the Father who gave his one and only Son for us, who then sent the Holy Spirit. You see, you're never alone. There's three persons always with us. I might not always feel like it, let's be honest. And so this is a truth to hold on to in tough times. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, the Lord is there. And one of my reflections on this is it's very easy to think that we become more aware of God's presence if we go to certain places or do certain things. I think a lot of us find... You know, when we're out walking in a mountain range or in, in the world of sort of nature and beauty, we have a sense of being closer to God. Or maybe if you go to a particular building, or times of silence, or times of just, you know, particularly singing, times of worship, that's when we're closer to God. And I want to say there's probably some sense of that for us, and it's because we've taken ourselves out of the ordinary a little bit. Or we've distracted ourselves from the ordinary. And those are great things to do. But if that's where we think we only encounter the God who's there, then we're mistaken. We need to learn to find that God is there in the ordinary. What about for other people? Well, Paul, in Acts chapter 17, he's in Athens. Uh, and he's talking about uh, the, the unknown God that they have an altar to. And he says... Do you know what? There is a God of everyone. And he's not far from anyone. He's the God, we're, they're told, who made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. He marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he is not far from any one of us. We get to declare that the Lord is there. God is there. And we get to invite people to seek him. Reach out to him and find him, and in doing so, discover that he's not far from anyone. So that means he is not far from anybody in your life who you are praying for regularly. It means he is not far from the person you think least likely to become a Christian. Maybe that, maybe that will shape how I'm going to do some inviting this Christmas uh, to some of our events. And also it gives us that wonderful hope for the future. The Lord is there. If we turn to the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21, doesn't it, describes God's people as a holy city. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? That sounds very Ezekiel-esque. Holy city, the new Jerusalem, God's dwelling place now among the people. And Revelation uh, chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. In fact, let's go there. Revelation 22, uh, verses 1 to 5. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, 
flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Revelation 22 is just Ezekiel again. We didn't read Ezekiel 47, but it speaks of water flowing out from the temple and becoming a stream that gets deeper and deeper, and alongside it are these trees, these fruitful trees. And here we have them. If you like, Ezekiel was looking ahead. He was almost seeing from his point all the way to the reality of the new creation. And over the whole of it is that sign. The Lord is there. Our great hope of eternity. Verse 4 of Revelation 22. They will see his face. We get God's presence in its fullness. The Lord is there. And because of that, we're able to gather around at the Lord's table this evening to receive from him bread and wine. A reminder to us that the Lord is there as we eat and as we drink. A reminder that by the Spirit we participate in the very life of Christ himself. But before we do that, I'm just going to give us a bit of time um, maybe to reflect on some of those things we've heard. Or just that reality of the Lord is there or just that hand in the air for I am with you. That's what makes us strong. Are you weak? Are you weary? Are you weeping uh, this evening? The Lord is there.